Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, Gittas Whelan, Swansea City fan and contributor to the Jackcast podcast, which you can find on Twitter at the Jackcast. I'm Jamie Smith. I host the Burnley FC podcast, No Name Ever, and blog for ESPN FC. Hi, I'm Peter Johnson, editor of Hull City fans group Tiger Link. You can find us at www.tigerlink.co.uk. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Uh, we'll lead in with you, Jamie. Not maybe the uh, results you would have wanted. Things starting to look a bit precarious, actually, from your side. Yeah, it was a strange one this weekend because I think when, when we play after everyone else, fans start to get a little bit scratchy, especially if, if the teams around us win and... Obviously, results elsewhere didn't really go in our favour um, over the weekend. Bournemouth, Hull, Swansea, Palace all winning, um, which has dragged us back in a little bit. I mean, we're still five points clear with four games to go. So you'd think we've probably almost done enough, but we still need to win one game, I think. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on our last two home games. Um, we really don't want it to go down to the last day. So West Brom at home in a couple of weeks is going to be massive. We're at Palace next weekend, so that's a crunch game as well. And yeah, we, we just seem to have lost momentum at, at the wrong time. I think it's one win in 10 or 11, um, which has seen us slip down the table. And you just you just wonder if in the spring when we were mid-table and cruising, if everyone sort of felt like we'd already done it, whereas you still need to keep on picking up the points. Um Today's game was always going to be tough. Obviously, Manchester United unbeaten in 22 before today, 23 now. They've found some momentum at the right time of the season, even though they've been dropping too many points at home. and They were just far too good for us, really. We started the game quite well, and I thought we were competitive for the first 20 minutes. We had a lot of dangerous attacks without really creating a lot. We were committing a lot of players forward, which we haven't really done at times. Um and that was sort of our downfall, really. We got caught out with too many players up the pitch. A pretty poor cross from Robbie Brady was cut out by, I think it was Rooney on the edge of his own box. And once Anthony Martial gets the wrong side of Joey Barton, it's pretty much game over from there. We're not going to catch him. Barton should have probably brought him down and took the booking. Um, but after he didn't, Martial and Ander Herrera completed the break fantastically well. And it's, that's pretty much it for us. When we go behind in games... We don't tend to get results. Um, Rooney added a second, another pretty sloppy goal from our point of view. And we didn't have a shot on goal in in the whole game. It's the first time that's happened at home this season. It's obvious that there's a bit of a lack of creativity in the team at the moment. We're not really scoring a lot of goals. We look a bit porous at the back. So it is concerning, but a lot of people were getting worried a couple of weeks ago when we slipped to a similar position. Um, and then we played Stoke at home and beat them so I think when the chips are down against West Brom when we need to win that game I think we'll probably win it but it is starting to get a little bit nervy Yeah, one thing that has to be a particular concern especially in this run is uh, Andre Gray's performances have seemingly dropped 
Um, he's only managed uh, four shots over the last seven matches and zero on target. It, it, do you think that's probably a primary reason for these struggles? Yeah, I mean, I didn't realize the stats were that bad. He nearly scored today. He had a, a shot that was looked like it was going to win and took a deflection that went wide. Um, I think it's service to Gray that's the main problem. Um, we left him out last week, scored a penalty at Everton. It was the only way we were going to score a goal because without Gray, we just don't have a goal threat. Um, and he played okay today. His confidence has probably dropped a little bit, but he's, he's not the sort of striker who really sucks when it's not going his way. He doesn't start complaining that things aren't working out for him. <laughs> I've said it all season, really. I think service to Gray is the problem rather than Gray himself. We're not set up to suit his strengths. We don't play balls through to him on the ground. We don't stretch teams on the counter. We, we just don't use his pace and his power. So Too often he gets caught he just ends up running the channels, which isn't really his game. He does it okay, and he's a willing runner, but you need him in the penalty box, and you need to get balls in those areas and get him behind defenders. And We haven't done that enough all season, really. It's concerned that he's not scoring mainly because nobody else scores either, really. So when, when Andre's not scoring, we just generally don't all out of scoring as a team. Um, there was no Sam Volts today either, which I think was a problem. Volks and Gray is our best partnership, proven to work last season in the championships, got a lot of goals between the pair of them. Um, for some reason, Dash has played Barnes and Gray more this season. He's forced to play Barnes and Gray today because Volks was injured. And there's just no there's no partnership there at all. Barnes doesn't win enough of the ball in the air for Gray. And there's just there's no understanding there. So I think getting Volks fit again, Volks and Gray back up front. We need to get some more creativity into the team somehow because, like you say, Gray's not getting any shots away, but it's not like he's getting the ball into in dangerous positions and refusing to shoot. We're just not getting him into those positions. All right, Gitto, obviously uh, things had started to look a little bit dark for Swansea, but you get a very big win here. Lorente uh, shows up again, and it seems that the results seem to flow as soon as he gets going. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I said before that we're entirely reliant on him really for goals um, at the moment, and and if he's not really clicking, um, then well, we we really really do struggle. Um, it's been a bad few weeks. The performances haven't been there. Um, it's been really really difficult um, to watch at times, you know, because it's it's just been they've, they've not turned up the last few weeks. And, I, 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 and if I'm honest, against Stoke on Saturday, the performance was far from perfect. Uh, we did ride our luck for much of it. I mean, no, no more so than when Marco Arnautovic skied the penalty 60 seconds before Joe Allen deflects a shot past um, Jack Butland. Um, so we we did have quite a bit of luck. And of course, Stoke were, were poor. Um, they, they've been pretty mediocre all season, really. But um but but recently, you know, we've been playing against poor sides, and and we've not and we've been losing to them. Um, so it it was just a relief, I think, yesterday that the three points were an offer if we if we turned up, and there was better energy, there was more more effort. We did play better football, um, and and we were deserving winners um, of the match. But at, at the same time, you know, the games we've got coming up, I think I think that's probably I think it's safe to say Stoke at home is going to be the easiest game of our. Um, running um, and, and you still feel that if we are going to 
um, really challenge seriously for survival, then we, we're going to have to up our game a bit on um, on Saturday's performance. But at the same time, it's a relief. I, I said before the game it was probably a must-win, um, just because Hull's home form is putting us under so much pressure to pick up points. And, you know, if, if we can't beat Stoke at home, then who can we beat? Um, but it was a must-win. We did it, and it's, it's kept us alive, probably. I think if Hull had gone five points ahead of us yesterday, um, it would have been really difficult to see how on how on earth we could have turned it around. So it's kept us in there. It's it's kept the belief. You could see a full-time what it meant for Paul Clement. He was um, visibly, you know, uh, relieved at the, at the end of the game and celebrated um, quite a bit, actually, at the full-time whistle. Um, so we live to fight another day, um, uh, but it's still, you know, uh, we've got four games left to save ourselves and probably going to have to perform even better than we did on Saturday if we're, if we're going to have a chance of catching Hull. Mm. On a previous show, you basically mentioned how many players probably need to go after the season, regardless of which league you're uh, going to be in next season. But we didn't talk about the manager. Obviously, Paul Clement, I'm assuming the fans have appreciated what he's done because as an outsider, it's easy to see uh, at least the difference between him and Bradley's brief tenure at the club. Uh, is the aim to hold on to him regardless of what happens? Um, fun, actually, we, we had a little bit of a discussion about this on the um, Jackass podcast the other day. We, we put out a Twitter question asking, you know, if fans still thought that Clement was the right man for the job. And we did get a little bit of a mixed response. I mean, more vast majority of fans still wanted him to remain at the club no matter what. Um, but after that initial brilliant start where... Um, every uh, everything he did was 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 working. We have gone through a few weeks now where he's made some strange um, selections. He hasn't really been able to get the best out of the team. Um, you know, winnable games have have, have been thrown away um, thanks to thanks to poor performances and just a strange approach, really. Uh, and like I said yesterday, was was far from the perfect performance, and he got a little bit lucky because. With uh, what well, 32 minutes left on the clock, he took off Fernando Llorente, who is still not fully fit. You can you can quite clearly see that. But he took off Fernando Llorente and brought on uh, Mike van der Horn, uh, a centre back. And we all got very nervous at that point, thinking, "Oh, this could backfire." You know, we we were going very defensive very early in the game, um, and and it did invite Stoke back into it. They got the penalty, and when when um, well when when. Uh, 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 Michael Oliver pointed to, um, to to the spot. You know, he thought, "Oh, this is going to backfire. It's going to be one all, and then how on earth are we going to find a winner without our main striker on the pitch?" Yeah, uh, but obviously things went our way. We had that little bit of luck, um, and it worked out. One one very popular choice he made um, on Saturday was um, picking Leon Britton. Uh, it's the first time Britain has played under Paul Clement, and something the fans have been calling for for um, for quite some time now. Because he just he's the kind of player who can get a reaction out of his teammates. He's he does the basics brilliantly. He gets the the rest of the team playing better. And even though at 34 um, he he struggles to play a full 90 minutes, he's still as sharp as ever. He's he's still uh, a very intelligent player, um, and, and you could see the difference having him on the pitch made it, it was a more energetic performance we did pass the ball better and um it, well it, it works basically and hopefully Paul Clement has learned other Swansea managers in the past have tried to sort of phase Leon out of the out of the side and try to get 
players in who can maybe do more in attack. Um, but when when he's not on the pitch, um, it it just doesn't. We, we can we can sometimes really struggle to play the kind of game that we we'd all like to see played. So hopefully, actually, yesterday, Clem, well, Paul Clement will have picked up a few a few things, learned from some of the errors they've made in the recent games. But you know, like you said, there's still a huge difference between the the Swansea that we're watching now and the Swansea we're watching under Bob Bradley and and Francesco Guidelin. It's um, he's he's given us hope, um, which is something we didn't have when when. Bradley was sacked, um, and whatever happens this season, when he was appointed, I said he'd be judged based on what what, what the Swans did next season, whichever league we were in. And I'll stand by that. I think it's next season that we can really judge Clement when he's had a full preseason, when he's had the chance to bring in his own players and, and really implement his um, uh, his uh, his ways on on the um, on the side. That that's when we're really going to see how good he is. Gotcha. It'll definitely be interesting to see uh, how that all unfolds. Uh, Peter, coming to you to talk about Hull. Obviously, a red card yesterday. Some probably saw it as harsh. Uh, things look really bad because at that time, Swansea had already taken the lead. But then, all of a sudden, you come back, you score two goals, end up keeping a clean sheet with only 10 men. How important was that win? Yeah, first of all, a massive win yesterday, obviously. If I can pick up on Guto's very good summary of the, the sort of relative point situation and the the war of survival between Hull City and, and Swansea, uh, I guess when Stoke were awarded a penalty yesterday and then missed it, that was a vital moment because I think had that gone in, it may well have been a draw between Swansea and Stoke and that would have left us four points clear of Swansea, and I'd have been a great deal more optimistic about our survival prospects. So I think that was a, a big moment, whatever happens in the current sort of relegation battle. Returning to yesterday, yeah, an amazing game at the KCOM yesterday, and these are incredible times at Hull City, regardless of our fate this season. I think the first thing to say before I talk about the game in detail is that it's it's a very odd atmosphere because there's actually a very positive atmosphere at the KCOM at the moment for home games and optimism away from home despite our dreadful form away. I think the, the big concern under, under Phelan earlier in the season was that we weren't doing ourselves justice and we were sinking into the championship without so much as, as a whimper even it, it was it, it, it was dreadful on occasions now i think people think you know we've given we are giving it a really good go we're playing decent football and okay in some games it's been a battle because of where we are and we haven't always been able to play that football as we'd like to but you know we're hitting a few headlines a few people are watching all city and saying hey look you know, this side's playing really well. They are playing as a team. And I think one thing people will take from watching us is saying, you know, I can think of teams, Liverpool are an example. If if, if they played as a team, as we did, relative to our the, the talent we have available, they'd be doing a lot better. We are getting the best. Marco Silva is getting the best out of our players. And what was shown yesterday was that we have developed 
tremendous character and resilience. We were outplayed by Watford for a large part of the, the first half. And the decision to dismiss Nayas was a poor one, in my opinion. It was a booking, and maybe not even a booking uh, at worst. But many sides would have just packed up there and, and folded. But somehow we dug deep, and with 10 men, you know, beat a reasonable Watford side who maybe underperformed on the day, but I think that's a bit harsh on ourselves. And, you know, I think it's a massive result for us in terms of giving an injection of confidence, a further injection of confidence throughout the squad. It's almost, if we can win a game with 10 men after a decision like that and keep a clean sheet, then what else can we do at home? The continuing worrying thing is that away from home, we display this Jekyll and Hyde thing where everything that we do brilliantly at home, we simply fail to replicate away from home. And I do believe if we are going to survive, we will need to take points away from home. But yesterday, I mean, two reasonable goals, a, a good goal from uh, Lazar Markovic, uh, his first for us uh, in the Premier League, I believe. And uh, Sam Klukas, who's had a pretty good season and is a much improved player who's played in the lower leagues and shown that you, you can grow from the lower leagues and play in the top level, uh, scored a fine goal from distance. Cynics would say that he's put 25 of those in the stand already this season. But, you know, who cares? It, it, it was a very good effort. And OK, Watford had a lot of possession and they created some good chances and Eldon Yakupovic made good saves. But uh, I don't think there'd be many uh, neutral observers who said that we were you know, totally lucky and it was a fluke. Because we, after, in the second half, I felt, despite having the possession, Watford sort of looked less dangerous as they pushed forward. So um, in terms of our overall position and the relegation fight, there's a long way to go. It's going to be tense. I suspect it will go to the wire. But th there is a positive, positive atmosphere amongst the fans. They're pleased that Marco Silva has put us back on the map as a decent side. We have reasonably good players who are giving their all for the city and for the team. And to some extent, I think there's an awareness in the squad of that. And that's taken some pressure off. Plus the managerial style of... Uh, Marco Silva is winning you know, fans across the football world, I think, because uh, you know he is proving himself to be a remarkably good manager. And I think he's really put himself on the map, regardless of what happens with Hull City this season. In fact, regardless of whether we stay up, he may well be a sought-after manager uh, come the end of the season. And that's probably one of the fears we have. Mm. Uh, he may, he's not... He's not uh, reluctant to make hard decisions. He left out Michael Dawson and Tom Huddleston yesterday, who are two players who are long established and much liked. Uh, that was a brave decision. And tactically, he seems to have the ability, and this is something perhaps Steve Bruce didn't have, uh, to when things are going wrong, he changes the shape and assesses the game at half time 
and improved us for the second half. Sadly, he's been able to do that with remarkable success at home, but our absolutely dire away form continues. And I really do think that we've got to go to Palace and Southampton, Southampton and Palace, Palace as it is chronologically, and get something there if we're going to stay up. But uh, all very encouraging at the moment and decent goals, despite the poor uh, decision for the sending off. And I think we will be appealing against the sending off. And I think Umar Nayas's eyes, that some of you will have seen in the, uh, the TV coverage of the game, told you the full story. He was staggered to be sent off for that challenge. Mm. Uh, yeah, on to Tottenham. Um, obviously not the result we were hoping for. Another loss at Wembley uh, to Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final. But uh, I am not particularly downtrodden. I think we were the better team on the day. And I think we have been in the last three matches against Chelsea. Um, obviously, it's disappointing to have lost that one. And it, it was largely due to individual errors. We had an individual error from Toby, which you don't get often in a season that led to the William free kick. Um, and then later on in the match, we, we, uh, let in a couple more and then it ended up being four, two, which I think was a pretty unfair scoreline. They only had, uh, five shots in the match and four of them were goals. Um, which obviously is a, a harsh percentage, including that Matic goal, which was just absolutely thwapped. But, um, he does that. Uh, the group that I was watching it with, some people were like, oh, well, he's never going to do that again. I was like, he's done that before. Matic has just a ridiculously powerful foot. Um, and when he catches one, just kind of look out. Uh, and so that was obviously very tough for us. We were down twice, came back twice uh, earlier in the match. Harry Kane's weird kneeling header thing uh, was very exciting at the time. The uh, Christian Eriksen, by the way, I've pr- been pretty harsh on him in the past uh, and said that he just happens to have good matches when we're already having good matches, that he doesn't really drive us as a unit. Um, that was not the case yesterday. Uh, Christian Eriksen very much stepped up in, in one of the biggest moments of our season and really had our team flowing brilliantly going forward. The issues, unfortunately, were at the back, which you don't say often about this Tottenham Hotspur side. Um so yeah, I, I'm I'm not, I'm less worried than others about this continued streak of struggles at Wembley because I didn't view this match as a struggle. I, I view it more as a harsh result. Seems a little much, but we we played better. We were the better team for the majority of that match. Um, so it is disappointing, but I, it's not discouraging if uh, that thin line makes any sense to people at home. Um, but yeah, hopefully. Uh, we can continue to pick up points in the league. We're only four points back. Um, hopefully this doesn't derail us the way drawing with Chelsea in the league last season did. Obviously, them bringing on Hazard, Costa, and Fabregas is really the uh, evidence of the difference between our two sides. I'm not going to go the Pochettino route and say that we're doing it the right way because there's this much money in football. Certain clubs have certain amounts. We're doing the best we can with what we have. And Obviously, to clubs smaller than ourselves, the amount that we spend is ridiculous. So that's all on a gradient. Um, so I'm not going to say Chelsea just buy their players because if everybody had that kind of money, everybody would do that. Um, but it is telling, you know, having Hazard, Costa, and Fabregas come on uh, when I think our substitutes were uh, Kyle Walker, which is he's obviously pretty decent, uh, George, Kevin, and Kudu, and 
Don't even remember what the third substitution we made was, unfortunately. But uh, the point is, they're not as good as those other three. Um, but yeah, as I said, hopefully this isn't too much of a, a ding on us. Um, the players did sound disappointed in their post-match interviews yesterday, uh, but Pochettino did not. Um, he came out and basically said he was proud of how we played. Um, glad that we played well in front of the fans and at Wembley. Uh, and similarly, that he hopes that we kick on from here. Maybe we can keep this title chase uh, interesting, although them getting to rest Hazard and Costa for most of that match is obviously going to benefit them. Uh, going forward, we have a uh, pretty tough run playing Crystal Palace, who apparently just love knocking off, I was about to say top four teams, but I suppose, uh, uh, oh no, everybody that they've beaten has been in there, right? Oh, Arsenal weren't, funnily enough. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, that's concerning, especially as it's at Selhurst, and then we have the North London Derby at the weekend. So uh, a very tricky um, period on the calendar here for us. But if we can come out of this stretch with four points, doesn't really matter where the win is. Uh, I think things could get very interesting. Um, and if Chelsea drop points, obviously it would get very, very interesting. Not expecting them to. Uh, still not expecting to win the title. But as Pochettino keeps saying, we're just going to keep the pressure on. You know, Only can, can contain what we do uh, and then just kind of see where results lie. All right, and now on to the topic. We're obviously going to be talking about the PFA Awards that are still wrapping up as we speak. Uh, but we will start with the official Young Player of the Year, which has been given to Della Ali with Harry Kane in second and Lukaku third in voting. Just interested to get your take. Do you think they've gotten this right? Yes. Um, I, I would. I, I think that's the least surprising news of the, of the night, whatever happens, that Dele Ali won the uh, Young Player of the Year award. I think it was ridiculous. He wasn't in the running for the main award. Um and, and, and I, I, I think he's um, had, had an amazing season. I, 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 I'm not in the least bit surprised he's won that award. Yeah, I agree. I think he, he probably has been the outstanding young player in the Premier League this season. Um, I was delighted to see Michael Keane on the shortlist, by the way. I think these individual honours quite often ignore defensive players. Um, so even though Keane's 24 now, I think not really considered to be a young player. Um, the age brackets could probably move a bit by the way, 24, you can't be a young player at 24, uh, it's really good to see some some Burnley recognition on there but yeah, Ali for me is one of the top players in European football in his position now, let alone in the Premier League and I'm excited to see what he does in the future and hopefully he can carry that form into international level because we've not really seen um, the Delhi Ali who plays for Spurs deliver those level of performances for England yet Yeah, I don't have a problem with the awards. Uh, slightly cynical about awards. They're given like this anyway and how they're actually voted for and, and drawn up. Ali, I think you can't argue with it. Didn't he win Young Player last year? I'm not so sure. He did, somebody, yeah. I'm not so sure from my point of view it's healthy to have somebody continue to be nominated. I'd like to see a fresh face win every year. Uh, so apart from that, don't really have strong views on it. I have stronger views on the manager of the year thing. And uh, I think it does tend to go to the one of the most successful managers of the year. And someone would say, of course. But I would actually prefer to see it relative to resources. So mm. perhaps given to a less fashionable club, and I'm not talking Marco Silva here, um, <laughs> I would be looking... I would be looking at other clubs where the management, and that's what we're talking about, 
has been particularly good relative to money, resources and circumstances, regardless of how successful that club was in the year. But that may be a major yawn for a lot of people. And they don't want it nice and simple. And they just want, you know, the, one of the better sides, the, the Premier League winners or whatever, to, to, the, the, to win the top manager. But that's just my view. That's my take on it. Yeah, I, I uh, am a little surprised that Lukaku was that far down. Assuming that he doesn't win Player of the Year, which I think would be surprising to most, um, I, I would have thought that he would have been in there, especially as he's currently leading uh, the race for the Golden Boot. But I feel like Ali more more fills the um, kind of spirit of it with the youth, being that he's still uh, only 21, would have been 20 when voting closed. Um, but for Tottenham, it's obviously huge. That's four out of the last five years that a Tottenham player has won Young Player of the Year, which is really, I think, a sign of uh, how we're run as a club, of having having to bring you through, but also being very good at doing so. Um, yeah, obviously very pleased with that as a Tottenham fan. Uh, as we are recording this, N'Golo Kante is walking up to the stage, I'm assuming to pick up a trophy. So it does look like he has won Player of the Year. Obviously, uh people think maybe should have won last year for Leicester moves clubs immediately makes uh, Chelsea the title favorites as we sit now. Uh, this also something that is unsurprising for you guys. Yeah, I think everybody guessed that it was going to be Conte. That was, you know, sometimes in these awards, you just get a vibe, you know, people, there's so much talk about a certain player that you, you just get the feeling. Yeah, they, they are going to win. And I think that was the case with Conte. Um, but as we as you discussed in the last podcast, my, my vote probably would have gone for Conte. I know a lot of people have said it's a bit uninspiring, really, that he's not, that he's overrated. Um, <clears throat> and that there are other players, actually, who've, um, who've, who've played, well, who deserve it more. Um, but I, I think it, it is nice to, like, like Jamie said earlier, sometimes, sometimes it's nice that, uh, somebody other than the attacking players get get to mention. And when you look at Chelsea this season, and you you'd ask the question, well, which if you were to name one player who's done more than any other to um, to to sort see them win the title, I think you probably would go for Conte. I think the difference he's made um, has been phenomenal. And like you said, Kev, I I, I looking back. Um, probably should have won. Well, you could say they maybe should have won it last year. Um, he was more consistent than either Vardy or Mahrez were for Leicester um, throughout the season. And, and I think you, you could say the same thing this season, really. He's, his level has been consistently brilliant and it's it's never dropped. And he's just, he does the basics, but he does it absolutely brilliantly. And he is a fantastic player to watch. Um, and, and I don't think, it, it's been a season where I don't think we've had a really standout individual like in the past you've had um you know ex- exceptional uh, attacking players like a ronaldo or uh, an Henri, somebody who has just blown the competition away. like in in this league it had been uh before mares hazard suarez bale van percy bale rooney yeah yeah, yeah. You, you yeah it's usually that kind of player that that wins it i don't think we've had that kind of player this season the closest one you could probably say is hazard but i don't think He's had. I, I don't think he's done enough to win the title uh, to win this year. I don't think his goals and assists contribution um, quite merits the PFA Player of the Year award, even though he has been brilliant and it's brilliant to see him back at it, uh, at his best. Uh, and he is a superb player to watch. There's no doubt about that. And he's. A, but but I think this year, I, I, 
the other, you guys may um, may disagree, but I I think Conte is a worthy winner. I totally agree with with Goose. I, I do think it's a bit of redress from last season when um, watching Leicester at the start of the campaign. It immediately became obvious that Vardy and Mahrez weren't the star players in that team. They had very good seasons, but it was Conte doing all the work in midfield that allowed them to do that. And that's why Hazard's been back to his best this season. He's got someone doing the work of two men in midfield behind him, setting that platform. He doesn't have to do any defending, whereas last season Mourinho was asking him to track back. He doesn't have to do that anymore because Conte does all the work for him. And I think he's a phenomenal defensive midfielder. Um, A position that a lot of teams seem to don't think is that important so just play without one imagine how good Arsenal would have been in the last 10 years if they had a defensive midfielder for example Um, and it it reminds me of Claude McAuley who obviously did exactly the same job for Chelsea to great acclaim and sort of reinvented the position to such an extent that it became known as the McAuley role um, for a time I think Hazard was probably the only one to push him close but I honestly think that without the the solid base provided by by Conte and to a lesser extent Matic alongside him, I don't think Hazard would have been nearly as effective. Um, so I, I do think it was the right decision. I think he probably should have won it last year and that's why he's won it this year as well. But I still think he's made the biggest difference. I mean, Leicester have bounced back in the second half of the season, but you look at where they are without him, look at where Chelsea were without him last season. It's not a coincidence that he's been in the best team in the league two years in a row. And I'm excited to see what he does in the future. He's still very young for a player who plays that position. And assuming he doesn't get any serious injuries or anything, he's only going to get better. Yeah, I was going to make the McAuley comparison myself, so I'm pleased to Jamie raised that. I would have no argument whatsoever with this decision. And I think it's a real boost to if we can call it that, to players who do play in what we may call an unfashionable position. Because I believe many fans would perceive that top awards go to goal scorers and flash harries and the big names, the, you know, the, the big money, the goal scorers, rather than the grafters. So I think it's good to see a and it's not really an unfashionable player, but a player who does unfashionable things in the game quite a bit. Uh, I think that's really healthy. And I think the comments in terms of that we've heard about the link with the Leicester last year and who got the awards and who doesn't absolutely spot on. Uh, so very pleased for the lad. Uh, yeah, very very healthy. I think to get someone with that sort of game to win a top award. It shows that you know you don't have to score twenty screaming goals in a season for observers, fellow professionals to to recognise you. So uh, good news, I think, healthy for the award as well as for him himself. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely good for him to have won. I agree uh, with the positional argument that it's nice to see. You know, when we listed the the previous five. Um, somebody that's not in, in an advanced attacking role win it. And uh, I also agree with most of you. I think it's a little bit of a makeup call uh, for last season, but that doesn't mean it's any less deserved. Um, I do think, though, that there is a player that had a, a phenomenal individual performance this year, and I think it's Alexis Sanchez. 
it, I just think he's not even really considered because of the form of Arsenal and all the other issues and distractions going on at that club. Um, but Dan, uh, the Arsenal fan that was on our preview show for this uh, on Thursday, <clears throat> made some very interesting statistical points about it as well. It's just that, you know, nobody else has really backed him up this year there with uh, Otzel disappointing. I think Xhaka has been disappointing considering the money they paid for him. You know what? I just realized how much time it would take. <laughs> I mentioned every disappointment at Arsenal this season. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think Conte is probably the right way to go. All right, an award that's not being handed out tonight uh, would be Manager of the Year. But I'm still interested to hear who you guys think would win that award this season. I, I think Conte should probably have won it. Um, I think there are quite there are a few candidates who um, you could say have had brilliant seasons and, and who've um, done very, very well at their respective clubs. But I think when you look at the job that Conte's done at Chelsea, um, when you look at the season they'd had last year and what he was walking into, the squad he had, um, and, and what he's turned them into, I think I, I think it's been brilliant. I did not expect Chelsea to seriously challenge for the title this season. I thought they'd get a Champions League spot. I thought that would represent a good season for them. Um, of course, they could still mess up and, and not take the title, but they've still been brilliant. I mean, um, he had a difficult start. Um, you know, think there were times when, when things just weren't going right for them. They couldn't defend to save their lives, but he turned it around. He, he looked at what he had and using some pretty unconventional methods and, and some un, well, uh, unusual team selections. Um, he, he made the te- this team that he's tried to keep together as much as possible and, and which plays really entertaining football as far as I'm concerned and, and is really, really difficult to play against. Um, they're very, very balanced. Um, I, I did not think that um, a, a, a back three, which included both David Luiz and um, Gary Cahill, could defend as well as they have this season. Um, likewise, I never thought Victor Moses would would make it as a, a, a right wing back at, um, at Chelsea. And Alonso, too, has turned into this brilliant player. Um, and, and that's ignoring the fact as well that he's got the best out of Azar after a difficult, really difficult season last year. I think he's... He he has got the best out of Diego Costa before. Obviously, his form has dipped recently, but he was getting um, as uh, Costa played very very well, and I, th- I think they'll be deserving champions. And it's, he's he's had to work hard to to make this team what it is. That you know sometimes you hear accusations against managers. Well, you know the, anybody could win a title with those players. It's something that's often been said of. Um, Guardiola in his previous jobs incorrectly I, I, I should add it, that it's a very unfair accusation but it's certainly not one you can make against Chelsea I don't think they've got the best squad in this I, on, on the face of it at the start of the season I would not have said they had the best squad in this league but um, he's got the most of them and um, I, I, I've been majorly impressed by him this season Yeah I agree with a, a lot of what of what Guto said I think um, Conte obviously came with big reputation from from Italy he'd won a lot of titles with Juventus but it's never easy to adapt to the Premier League and we saw at the start of the season that Chelsea weren't finding it very easy at all the switch to the back three was obviously the pivotal moment in their season really and since then it's been very difficult to stop them Manchester United showed that it is possible 
um, the other week. We managed to draw with them at home. Um, but most most teams have been blown away by Chelsea, really. Obviously stumbled a little bit the last few weeks, losing it home to Palace as well. But I don't see them losing the title. And when you consider where they were last season, it's very difficult not to give it content, I think. Um some of the other big clubs have underperformed for me. I think Manchester City, we expected more of them under Guardiola, United as well. The money that Mourinho spent, they should have done better. Arsenal obviously well off the pace. Um but I think some of the some of the lesser clubs have, have really overperformed. I think Tony Pulis has done an absolutely incredible job at West Brom, even though they yeah, seem yeah. to be they seem to be on the beach now, which is understandable, but I don't think anyone would have expected them to be in the top half, really, let alone be eighth at this stage of the season. So I think he's been the pick of the rest. And the impact that Sam, Sam Allardyce has had at Palace has been absolutely phenomenal. What's it, six wins in his last eight games or something? They could finish in the top half of the Premier League. And it looked like they were going to get relegated. Um, you could say that that's down to a lot of poor teams in the bottom half of the Premier League. But I think his impact there has been first class, really. Yeah, pleased you gave Pulis a mention there because I wouldn't have a problem with the the award to to Conte. I think it's uh, well deserved, and I think it was particularly well deserved because he 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 went to a club that had had a very bad season and had underperformed, and there was pressure to improve. And he remarkably quickly, okay, he had money and he made good buys, but he got that consistency there. It wasn't just that he improved the side. He he got that consistency, which is so difficult to get, where you go on long runs, unbeaten runs, and you get 90, 95, 100% out of the team every game rather than from time to time. And on that basis, he deserves the award. In terms of the manager who deserves the award for playing the best football, uh, it would go to Spurs for me and Pochettino. Um, mm. um, and I think there should be a special award to Wenger for durability uh, because I just don't know how he survived and how he battles through everything and still survives at Arsenal. Lifetime <laughs> Achievement Award. <laughs> That's right. And picking up on the point I made earlier, and I won't ask on too much about this, but first of all, I had my thunder stolen there slightly because I think Pulis has done an amazing job Amazing job at West Brom relative to resources, which is what I was talking about. And a mention, too, for Eddie Howe at Bournemouth, who I know was fashionable to like a while ago and has gone off the radar a little bit. Speaking as a fan of a side and, you know, sort of editor of a fans group for a club that has been a bit of a, a sort of, a, you know, sort of seesaw side or um, jumping from division to a division, uh, championship to Premier League, up and down, whatever. Um, I know that it's Bournemouth's second or third season, second season in the Premier League, isn't it? And that can be very, very tough indeed. And I think he needs to be mentioned in dispatches because they've done particularly well. There was a point in this season when I thought Bournemouth were on the slide and going down. I had self-interest there, of course. And he steadied that ship and kept the the home form pretty good, so he deserves a mention. But returning to the point briefly, yeah, can't argue with what Chelsea have achieved. I think they've been a little bit mechanical on occasions and not always entertaining. But, you know, 
as famously was said once, if you want entertainment, there's a circus down the road. And I think they've ground out results with a certain amount of entertainment. And he's got the best out of some players that underperformed last season. So overall, I think no problem with it whatsoever. Mm. But a qualified agreement. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. It probably should be... um... Conte, he won what was supposed to be this year of all the great managers. Um, with uh, Mourinho taking the United job, having Pep Guardiola take over at Manchester City. I think Coleman deserves a shout at Everton. I think he's done a great job. Um, but uh, I'm glad he got a name drop there. But and, and there is plenty of bias. But I think Mauricio Pochettino definitely has to be in the conversation. Uh, at time of recording, Tottenham are second in goals scored, only two behind Liverpool with two games in hand, and first in defense, and it's not particularly close. Um, goal difference, eight better than anybody else in the league, best in all of the English divisions. And what he's done is incredible. It, it really is. Um, play style-wise, it's a great to watch. The 4-0 wins that have just been rolling off against teams that we used to struggle with, especially down the stretch of the season, knowing that we had to pick up points against clubs below us. Um, Because Tottenham used to be a little bit like Liverpool this season, where they'd pick up the points against the big boys and then struggle against teams they quote-unquote should beat. And I think that's great. Uh, I understand that there are some questions to be asked, because at a certain point people are going to want trophies and significant results um but for now still viewing tottenham as a long-term project it's hard to argue with the direction that the club is going in um and so massive shout out to him but conte coming in his first season and i feel like he's always been underrated somehow as a manager despite what he did at juventus despite what he did with arguably the least italian side in two decades plus um at the euros uh, what, what did they make it to? The semifinal, right? Because they lost to France, if memory serves. Um, but yeah, he, he did incredibly well with them, took the Chelsea job. And perhaps the most astounding thing he's done at Chelsea is I actually hate Chelsea a little bit less because of how much I respect Conte as a manager. And he's less inflammatory uh, in the media as others in this league. Um, the antics can get a little cloppy at times. Um, but I think he's a fantastic manager. And... Um, I would hate it a lot less if he was going to win the title at a club that I did not despise. All right, uh, and now into Player Watch, where we're quickly going to talk about a player that impressed and one that disappointed in our club's most recent fixture. We'll lead off with you, Gitto. Uh, impressed is Leo Britton, um, back in the team for the first time in 2017. Uh, and you can see the difference. Just got everybody playing much, much better. Um, really up the, ga- uh, up the game for, of everybody else uh, on the pitch. Um, and, and it just shows that he, you just no no manager should ever drop him. He's he's just one of those players that you may think ah oh, he's getting on a little bit and we can get better. We have better players available, but he's just he, he's just an absolute legend and um, keeps going up in my estimations with every passing season. He's he's just a hero and a brilliant brilliant footballer. Um, in terms of disappointment, I I'm not sure if anybody really disappointed um i'll be honest that there were one or two kind of you know me well 
not, not average performances, we'll see. But I don't think anybody actually disappointed. I think the disappointment really would, would be just Stoke as a as a team this season. I think they've they they're, they're the kind of side that you always expect to do a little bit better than they eventually do with the players they've got. And um, it says a lot actually that in our current run of form, um, they lost to us um, because they they were they were really poor. Um, and we've lost to other poor teams in recent weeks, you know, West Ham and Watford, but but Stoke were poorer still. And um, I, I'll be honest, if I was a Stoke fan, I, I would be asking questions about Mark Hughes, just wondering, is there another manager out there who could get more out of this squad of players? Because, uh, and I, I really like Mark Hughes um, ever since what he did with Wales, but I know I thought Stoke were particularly poor yesterday. Um, but I won't complain about that because they've, handed us just that tiniest shred of hope going into the final four games of the season. Yeah, I, I hate doing this bit when Burnley have lost because I find it very difficult to be positive about Burnley losing games. Uh, obviously, United at home was going to be a difficult game, but Burnley just didn't really do anything. Um, ben Mee went off at half-time, so I skipped the worst of it, so... Well done, Ben Me. <laughs> in terms of players who just spotted me, where, where do I start? <laughs> uh, maybe Barton. just the pitch, like 11, 11 people? <laughs> yeah, all of them. Um, I think Joey Barton was particularly bad, and it pains me to say that because I have a deep, deep platonic love for Joey Barton. Um, it just feels a little bit like the ongoing fuss about his FA gambling charge, maybe being a bit of a distraction at this point. He had another hearing on Friday. Still no resolution. This has been hanging over him for months now. Um, and he must he must be going out there thinking every game, this is going to be my last game and I want to make it count. Um, but he, he had a bad game against United. He should have brought down Martial for United's first goal. He was then lucky not to give away a penalty when he bumped into Rooney in the box. Gave the ball away countless times. Never looked on the pace. It's just really, really poor, and it's sad to see, really, because he's been fantastic for us, Joey Barton. I know a lot of people think a lot of things about Joey Barton because of what he's done in the past, but over two spells for Burnley, he's been faultless. I've not got a bad word to say about the bloke, but yeah, today he just wasn't up to his usual standards, unfortunately, so he needs to pick his socks up for the last four games because we need a Joey Barton to be on form and drag the team through what's going to be a very tough running. Yeah, uh very difficult when you win a Premier League game with 10 men against 11 to select a player that's had a bad game. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to mention Camille Grosicki, our, our, our Polish star, who has performed pretty well for us and consistently well. But he's one of these players who just needs a goal because you can see there's so much more in there but he's just lacking a little bit of confidence at the moment and he needs to score. And you can see it in his play. You can see it in the confidence level. He's been pumped up and motivated by Marco Silva, but he needs a goal. And he's in danger of becoming a a nearly man, nearly making a massive impact and nearly getting goals. And we need him to deliver a little bit because he's got a lot of talent. So that's a little bit harsh when you've won in the manner that we did. But that would be my selection. A narrow victory for him in the player underperforming over uh, someone who scored yesterday, uh, Lazar Markovic, who 
since his arrival from Liverpool has been a little bit in and out and also needed a goal and does sometimes disappear in games. But, you know, that's splitting hairs a little bit because obviously when you do win in the manner we did yesterday, it's very hard to actually pick out an underperforming player. It's equally difficult to actually pick out the best player or, or a player that performed particularly well because all 10 performed to a higher level and, and those that came on too. Uh, I'm going to go for Sam Klukas because he scored, because he scored a relatively spectacular goal, although I think it was a slight deflection, because he's been what you want at your club this season and he's starting to show it and maintain it as we hit the, the pressure period of the relegation dogfight. Sam Klukas is a ginger-haired midfielder who we bought from Chesterfield, I think it was, and he's improved continually over the last couple of years, having played well in the Championship. And what he gives you is blood and thunder. He gives you guts. He gives you consistency. He gives you passion. He gives you performance. And now we've got goals and some quality. I understand, along with Harry Maguire, he was looked at by by Southgate with uh, England in mind, which might be stretching it a little bit. But there aren't that many good, young English players in the Premier League, just statistically. So why shouldn't he? So well done to him for a very good performance yesterday and maintaining that level of performance through a very, very difficult season as a player who's making his debut season in, in the Premier League. And the tougher it gets, the better he gets. Mm. Um, for Tottenham, as I said, I, I think Christian Eriksen would would uh, be the player that most impressed. Um, even a couple articles I've seen already saying that you know he's he's our way in these big matches that that we need to really uh, use him to his best, and we certainly did yesterday. And all credit to him for taking control of that match when he could. Unfortunately, he didn't get to play in defense. Um, that's why super very unfortunately. Um, have to pin some blame uh, on Toby. Oh, man, that feels real bad to say. I, I would blame Son or say that he's the player that disappointed, but he was playing left back two weeks after playing as a striker. I, I just don't blame him for that. It was a gamble that did not pay off, um, which obviously led to the penalty. But uh, Toby looked a little nervy, which is not something that – is often said of him. He's been so resolute for us since joining. And uh, if there there's anything that I'd be concerned about coming away from this match, it would be uh, the performance of uh, him and Vertonghen. Obviously, the Trippier call exposed Toby a little bit more than usual. I think he felt a little less assured there. But uh, for somebody that has been such a stalwart at the back, you'd expect better in a big moment. And unfortunately, that didn't come off. All right, that will do it for us today. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where they can find you, now would be a good time. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on again. Uh, the uh, Well, this week, the Jackass is going to be recording, um, I think, Tuesday night. So that should be up, up uh, online by Wednesday morning. Um, slightly more optimistic and more positive this week than the, the misery we've um, been feeding listeners nonstop for the last few weeks. <laughs> 
I'm Jamie Smith. My podcast's not going to be fun to listen to this week. I host an on another podcast that'll be online uh, probably Tuesday. I also blog pre and post match for ESPN FC. Yeah, Peter Johnson, editor of Hull City Fans Group, Tiger Link. We're on Twitter and Facebook. And we've just introduced a new revamped website at www.tigerlink.co.uk where we are celebrating all things Hull City and, of course, Hull's time as UK City of Culture 2017. So, uh, yeah, we're plugging Hull as best we can and hoping we'll stay in the Premier League. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, at Kevroff on Twitter, uh, lead fantasy writer over at Goal.com, so be sure to check that out. There will be a super subs piece uh, tonight because uh, you can bring in players uh, for players that have already disappointed within the same match week. So, say if people doubled down on Rashford since Ibrahimovic got hurt and then he didn't start today, you could replace him with somebody else uh, still yet to play uh, this week. Uh, also, check out the FPL roundtable. Uh, that I host, where I talk all things fantasy Premier League. We also have a championship roundtable uh, where they had four people that are all in contention for the playoffs, so that should be a good listen this week. Uh, and then go check out all the stuff at the Eagles' beak, and then all the stuff that these people just plugged because all of them are terrific, uh, both people and at their jobs. <laughs> so be sure to check all of that out. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. 